The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. We're doing something special for this podcast today. We're recording this live in person at the AI World 2019 event. Ron is here as well, but he is being our sound engineer. So you won't actually hear him on this podcast, but he's here with us in the room. So for our listeners that weren't able to attend this event, it was October 23rd through 25th, 2019 in Boston, Massachusetts. Our guest today is Professor Dr. Michael Feint, who is the strategic advisor at JDA and founder of Blue Yonder. Hello, Michael, and thanks for joining us today. Hello. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your role at JDA. Yes. So in my first life, I was a physics researcher, having worked at the large particle colliders of the world, like CERN and Fermilab in USA, KEK in Japan. And I had to do with tons of data, big data already long before the term big data was coined. And I was also one of the first people who were working with what we call nowadays artificial intelligence. So I trained my first neural network in 1993, a long time ago, um, used it a lot, um, further developed it, pushed it through the science community that was not accepted at all at the beginning. Of course, nowadays has completely changed. In 2001, I then founded my first company. In 2008, then uh, Blue Yonder, which was specialized or is specialized in all sorts of data science and artificial intelligence projects. A few years ago, then we decided to build only products for retail because we wanted to grow more than linearly. And finally, last year, Blue Yonder was acquired by JDA Software. Now, JDA is a software company that builds software for the complete supply chain, is in the market for 35 years and way worldwide. And so uh, together we are very strong because now we have the very deep knowledge of supply chain, worldwide distribution and network also of uh, very large companies that are our clients. But from our side now, the machine learning and artificial intelligence bringing into the game. And together, this is a very strong and we have a, a very strong roadmap for the years to come with a vision to build a really completely autonomous supply chain. Wow. Yeah, that's something that I think our listeners are pretty excited about if they're in that space at all, because that can be complicated, have a lot of moving parts. So that's interesting. And, you know, it was interesting that you brought up that in 1993, AI wasn't really looked highly upon. Because for our listeners on this podcast, they know that AI has been around for decades, but we've gone through a few winters and periods of decline. And so now it's suddenly hot again and feels like it's new and, you know, this awesome thing, but it's actually been around for quite some time. So at this conference, I know that you're on a panel called Retail and E-Commerce Practitioners. For our listeners that aren't able to attend, could you give a quick recap of what was discussed on this panel? Yes. So retail is one of those verticals where AI can do really very, very much already. And especially on, on both things. It's first on the customer side, the end customer side, um, where it's also about marketing and, and sales. 
and to understand the customer better and better, to make him better offers and so on. Of course, driven also by the huge online retailers and all the rest of the world has to react on that. And that certainly is happening. And the other thing is regarding the supply chain and the processes in the background, because this is also something where more and more artificial intelligence is actually used in order to replace human mass decisions. So, for example, replenishment decisions that have to be done in a supermarket chain, typically 20 million per day, simply because there are so many stores and so many items. And all of them, yeah, in the days, uh, now digital uh, days where we have lots of information, they should not be gut feeling decisions, but really optimized. So there has, one has to do predictions of the near future, including uncertainty. And then also individual cost functions or have to know what you want to optimize. And then really many, many or millions of decisions are done every day mostly automatically, so automation rates of more than 99% can be achieved. And uh, this delivers a really huge value. So finally, for the end client, it is less empty shelves, but also less waste. And so usually, if you have only one decision, you can, it's always a compromise, and you can have either this or that side. And the nice thing with artificial intelligence now, because every single decision is optimized individually, and 20 million of them, is that on an aggregated level, you can get both. You can have less out of stock and less waste simultaneously and simultaneously also more profitability. And um, that is, of course, what serves the retailer, but also the end customer. And one big discussion point is always how does the role of the humans change? Yes, it is true. Uh, it has to change and there is a change processes in the big companies who apply it. But it is not that as many people fear that now everybody is jobless and is completely automated. So what we see is that the role changes. So a less uh, stupid uh, regular work that has to be done again and again every day, uh, that is actually reduced. But on one hand, we need, uh, of course, also more or better data quality. Uh, so that's also something where yeah, additional work comes in. For example, stock numbers must be much better under control as has been before. But the other, um, but also now time is freed for the uh, store manager. He does not have to sit behind a screen every day for four hours to do all the replenishment orders. Uh, this time is really free. And what we see happens in the stores is that actually the store manager is on the shopping floor and has time to see that the store is nice and tidy and even to talk to customers and to answer questions and things like that. So behind the scenes, it might seem that, an, uh, that artificial intelligence is um, gaining more and more, but it does not mean that the store has to be without humans. Just on the contrary, some stores, of course, go the way that they are completely autonomous and the consumer has to do everything uh, himself, um, only with automate. But I see uh, the brighter future even for stores, which are more human in the interaction again. Only the processes in the background, they are much, much, much more streamlined and, and better. And uh, that leads, and this we know, uh, not only to more profitability, but also to better satisfaction of the store manager, of the store employees, and, and this is, of course, most important, of the customers. So we have an example where this was actually really measured. A company that was number 10, only of very bad in customer satisfaction, is now number one. And this has been also checked in by journalists who did some mystery shopping and saw, you know, the shelves are full. The store looks much, much better than a few years ago. And the personnel is friendly and is there to help and to answer questions.
Great points that you brought up. We at Cognolytica always say that AI is not a job killer, but it's a job category killer. And so it's not here to have mass like unemployment, but it's going to change the nature of work. And so I think that what you brought up was a really good point that we're not looking to replace humans. We're just looking to have it automate some of the tasks that we don't want to do anyway, right? Dull, demeaning tasks that why should we have a human stocking shelves when they can be interacting and engaging with the customer and providing a better customer experience? Yes. Right. I, I completely agree. And I also think the largest uh, job killer is actually if your processes are not highly technological, because then you, the chance that you will not survive is very large. And I have seen very large retail chains uh, that died from one day to the other with 30,000 or more employees put off uh, from one day to the other. And so the largest danger is really if they don't use modern methods, because then it's quite clear that the jobs will die. And I also see it as a, just a normal innovation process. When computers were invented and brought to the market some 60 years or so ago, also people were thinking, oh my God, all the office work and so on will die and we have nothing to do. But when we look now, all of us know we do not have enough experts who can really work with a computer or even programs then. And so I see it also for AI. We are still very far away from the point where humans are not needed anymore. We're really very far away. And for the time being, I see it as a chance for the economy and for the overall welfare. Uh, I think it will be very good. I'm very optimistic there. Okay. So AI is impacting just about every single industry. What are some use cases for AI that you've seen in both the retail e-commerce space? I know you touched upon a few of them, but also moving beyond that in other industries as well. What are some use cases that you're seeing? Yeah, so AI in recent times, um, I think it's, it's mainly uh, two different um, areas. So one is that all the communications with humans has changed because computers also learned to see and to hear, to listen, to recognize objects or persons and pictures and so on. So this is the, uh, the one area where I think still lots will, uh, will come. And the other area is, of course, really, for me, it's more or less automated science, if you want. And that can lead to uh, better decisions. And it can also lead to, and, and I know it from my first life, for example, much more efficient basic research in, in basic sciences, fundamental sciences, like, for example, physics, where that my own area, where the where I'm most proud of is that we more or less also automated my own or our own work as particle physics researchers or a part of that. And we actually could do that, what physicist team, international team of 400 physicists had done on a data set that was taken over 10 years, really a very long time, it was more or less automated. And every single decision was also optimized. And we found that a physicist more or less has to take about 100 decisions for one physics analysis. And all of them have to be optimized by, by machine learning algorithms. And that finally led to the fact that we the program was four times more efficient as the 400 physicists in 10 years together, including me right, and my students. So it only showed that with artificial intelligence machine learning, you can go on a higher level and really become get superhuman behavior, if you want, in very, very different areas. And uh, so finally, the value of that was about $2.1 billion. It's an estimate of yeah, 
getting an efficiency of 400%, and the data taking alone uh, costed $700 million. So an effector of four, or the difference is in $2.1 billion. And now we see that in many sciences, fundamental sciences, which is publicly funded, so this is really tax money, there's more and more a movement towards, okay, every scientist should also be a data scientist. And we should try to use these methods in order to be more efficient, be it for medicine research, uh, pharma research, energy research, climate research, whatever. This I comes and is a very strong movement now. And I see the, the big research organizations all heading in that direction. And also that I'm very positive that our efficiency will become very much larger. The difficult thing is that there are not enough good teachers, not enough knowledge around, not enough students who have learned uh, these things and who are learning these things. I think we should be uh, make much more a promotion for young students to go into this area data science. I'm so convinced that it will form our future so drastically, but we see that it could be many more who can go in this direction. But it also needs and really... A, a mathematical and programming and uh, so a hard education um, and that is where unfortunately some young people do not really want uh, to do that but then becomes the most sexy job in the world and so i think we have to do more promotion on that yeah that's interesting that you bring that up because we've had a lot of discussion and debate around training and educating data scientists and that we just don't have enough data scientists to go around and the few that are there that were at universities and institutions are being pulled away into various companies, which continues this never-ending talent crunch. And at Cognolytica, we find that many companies and government agencies want to use AI, but they don't know where to begin and they may not have a data science team or a team in place. So we offer various training programs to help you get started, help break down AI projects using our seven patterns of AI, and also introduce methodologies for doing AI right. Listeners that want to learn more, you can find out more at cognolitica.com slash training. So adding to, you know, use cases and how AI can be applied, how have you seen AI impact the supply chain management at organizations? Yeah, there's many, many use cases along the supply chain. I told already about replenishment. Another thing which is very, very important is pricing. The right pricing, so have the right price at the right time in the right place. It might also be different from store to store. Is certainly something which is um, in the hard competition between retailers very important. But also this has sustainability uh, part because for the price, of course, you can also steer demand. And so instead of what, there are quite a number of items that lose value uh, at some time. For example, uh, seasonal fashion products or also meat. And um, so the usual stuff that had be, has been done with these uh, products is that they were on a more or less constant price all the time. And shortly before the end of the lifetime, they, uh, the prices were drastically reduced. So, of course, you can do it much better. You can do more or less uh, uh, lifetime pricing for the whole lifetime from the beginning where you bring it to the market to uh, the point where you really want to have sold the last or you have to sell the last one simply because in the winter seasons. So now uh, new clever products, they know that they can change the price from time to time. And uh, some daring retailers also allow price increase, not only uh, decrease. For example, if you see that you don't have enough and it will be sold out already in the middle of the season, then you might um, dare to even increase the prices. But the aim always should be to sell the last piece as a last day and, of course, also to optimize the expected overall turnover or profit. 
The funny thing is that these sort of markdown pricing is also good for the customer. And uh, it, it actually maximizes the, the, the turnover and also leads, to the, fa- uh, leads um, to the fact that many who do not have enough, uh, too much money, they can even afford now earlier in the season to buy the uh, modern stuff and not only in the last week, uh, so which means that essentially it's for next year and then it's not so modern anymore. Right. And so again, I think it's a win-win and to do that uh, really brings a large value for all parties involved. Another thing um, is all sorts of personal personalized uh, promotion or, or couponing. That is theoretically very interesting because you really, uh, if you want to do that right, then you really need to understand the uh, causality of, uh, there is a causal effect of sending this promotion item to the end customer. So the, the time where you do it very, very broadly uh, to, for all of them, uh, I think, is over and it starts to get more and more personalized. And what you really want to see is, so usually what's done there is that the good clients or customers get all the stuff and the bad don't get anything. That's, of course, wrong. What you really want is those who are getting influenced by this um, in your sense. So that the chance is larger that he will come into the store, buy or buy more. That is what you want and not uh, the guys that um, anyhow buy exactly these items and just when waiting at the cashier, they look at their phone and find, oh, I have a coupon and have to pay 20% less. Great. It's also good from time to time, but that's not what you mainly want to achieve uh, with that. And so modern methods uh, really can measure and predict then uh, individually of how is it, what's the causal effect of this thing, how he it changes the behavior. And I think that is also uh, very interesting and for retail will play a role. But now let's go up the supply chain. There is lots uh, to come. Of course, not only the stores have to be replenished, but also the distribution center and the main distribution center and then the factories. And along this whole supply chain, a big problem is so-called is the so-called bullwhip effect. So what happens is that in every station, one has uh, some safety stocks because nobody knows what when the next orders will come and how, how much it will be. So there's a tendency to have safety stocks everywhere, which again leads to waste and finally and or to large capital binding is, is not good. So what we now achieve is more and more communication between the single silos, if you want, of the supply chain. So the end aim is that we have one optimization horizontally along the complete supply chain, even beyond the boundaries of single companies. Of course, this demands a lot of trust and so on, but it, it starts that um, some companies dare to do it. And again, they will have an efficiency bonus due to that. And then, of course, you have also have to have manage uh, workforce resources uh, in the planning and so on. And in all these data-driven algorithms can do really some optimization. And um, I think there will um, yeah, quite a lot of things will still come. And the supply chain of the future, which is also the value chain, including production and factories, will be quite a bit more efficient than we have it right now. Yeah, that's interesting. I know we've talked about this a little on various podcasts and how AI can help with the entire supply chain, also with forecasting. That's another big thing that is really hard to do right now. And AI can help have better forecasting. For companies that are new on their AI journey, how have you seen AI help intelligently transform business operations and then improve that entire value chain? Yeah, well, the companies dare to really automate um, their processes or uh, change their processes using AI decisions. We see that there is a, a large value for all of them. 
what we see is that uh, quite often there is some resistance, usually not from the top level, but layer two or three. There are quite some people who do not really want to change. I think that's also very human and very normal, but that's what's happening. So new companies that um, then simply dare to, uh, to really exploit the automation, they will get more of the value of AI. What we see is that some companies introduce it, but still they have large groups of humans. They don't change the processes. And what they often do is they overwrite the machine decisions, then again by their gut feeling decisions. And the gut feeling decisions are often bad because our decision system is simply not made for doing decisions with asymmetric cost functions under uncertainty. The human yeah, fast decision system is simply not built for it. It cannot speak statistics. It cannot calculate complex integrals and so on. We, you simply have to do it with a computer. But very often, uh, also the results of a computer, people feel uncomfortable with it. They think, ah, oh, I would have done it differently and think they are right. And this is one of the human biases that we have. I think they have to be overcome. And this is psychologically very difficult. So there's lots of training, lots of discussions, lots of learning. And people have to understand that they are not bad. I also cannot do better. They have me even test professors and beginner students and also 30-year professional experience. Professionals had to do management decisions very fast. I mean, I already said it's many, many decisions. And the result was that all three groups were equally bad because all have this human bias in the fast decision system. It, we simply have to accept it. Right? We also accept that we have to take the 27th root of a 100-digit number. A computer can do it better than we. Right? And I think for these things, we also simply have to accept it and then to take the other routes we have talked on before. Because then it's, it's really, um, the value is really taken. And if there's lots of manual overwriting machine decisions, usually uh, or almost always it goes in a bad uh, direction because of the bias uh, that I said. So, yeah, unfortunately, it is like that. Um, but I, I think so. all companies should take a start. That's very important. All of them should have at least one person who has a trust of the top management, who is either a data scientist or at least a very quantitative person. And I think the main role of this person is not to build these things. So there, I think there's lots of do-it-yourself mentality right now, which I think is wrong, because it's not impossible that one person will build the decision system for a billion-dollar company. This will simply not work out. But this person must be there to choose the right tools, the right vendors, to test them, to steer the programs, to monitor them, and to give feedback to the business side of his company on one hand, but also to clarify uh, problems between the company and the vendors. And I think this role is extremely important. And we have, where we have such a constellation, we see that they are very successful. If they do not have any expertise in-house, then sometimes it's difficult. Because we have observed then that we have sea level escalations and big panic. And, and so finally we say, what's wrong? Yeah, we have the feeling that it doesn't work good. But this again is exactly this human biases that we have seen before. Of course, something can go wrong. Data might not be good or there's knowledge that the program doesn't know and so on. These things have to be clarified and to be improved. So no misunderstanding there. Absolutely. But if it's basic laws of uh, statistics that are not, uh, not understood or things like that, that, that's not good. That is not good for a sea level escalation. So these things should be clarified in-house. And that's only working if there's at least one person who has a complete trust of the sea level and but is also really good enough in, in order to understand this and also to then have a 
a communication to, to the AI vendors on the right level, on a technical level. That's a great point that you bring up because, you know, at our training, we always talk about how you really need buy-in from all levels, but it needs to start at the top. And so the C-level needs to understand what you're doing and have buy-in, and then it needs to trickle down and it needs to be across the organization. Because if you don't have buy-in from the top, you most likely will not actually see your AI project go to fruition. So that's a great point. 100% was that, yes. So Michael, we've really enjoyed this podcast and listeners, we hope that you've enjoyed it as well. We will be following this discussion at AIToday.live. But I'd like to end this podcast here with a final note, Michael. What do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to corporations and beyond? Yeah, as I said already, I, I think it will go on. It will be more and more. It will become more and more clever. I guess, I hope, there will also be things that we have no idea about right now. I'm quite sure that this will come. But the gradual improvement, you know, which is not only gradual, which is really massive, in all areas will come. And uh, yeah, uh, I think from a technical point of view, I think the next big thing is the uh, unification of AI and causal reasoning. So the mathematics of that only been popular in the last uh, few years. Uh, that's still quite new. And a large part of the AI community does not know too much about causality. And I think that is my uh, prediction for the next two years is uh, in that intersection, lots uh, will happen. And that you also need, always need uh, causality if you really want to change action policies in future. So if you have to ask what if questions and, and you have to, to get the right answers. Um, because always in the past, there was one policy. So we have one of the possibilities we have in the data, but not the other and or others. And that uh, can be very, very um, difficult and uh, complex to do to get this right. Often it is done wrongly, in fact. But uh, for all progress in all sciences, but also in, in enterprise, I see that this is very important so that we can more and more also complex decision strategies and uh, decision chains can be then optimized. And so it's even more complicated than AlphaGo and uh, these games because it's an open system where also data comes from outside all the time and the rules are not 100% clear. But still, um, as in the AlphaGo games, uh, that reinforcement learning can actually um, learn best uh, or at least a much better than now decision strategy, I think that's very interesting. And I personally uh, work on that and uh, think that there will, will be quite some progress there. Yeah, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Yeah, very much. And listeners, we hope that you've enjoyed Michael and the value that he brought today to this podcast as well. We'll be continuing this conversation on a bonus episode, so make sure to go to AIToday.live and sign up to get notified when this bonus episode is released. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. Please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. As always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group, and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. 
For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.